0: First, a very special word of encouragement meant for performers and entertainers of all types.
1: Why? Why do we get back up on our bicycle after plunging to the ground for the twelfth time? Why do we step into a self-made machine, shooting us high up in the sky with nothing to hold on? Why do we dare to show people what we have made with all our heart, while they can easily tear you down because we trust we trust in what we have achieved in the past what we are able to do now and what we will achieve in the future we trust in our ability to grow to push our bodies to the limit to force our focus expand our minds for generations we have amazed the skeptics charmed the cynics rejoiced the sad because in real life magic is not about some exotic force defying the laws of nature real magic is about tearing down the walls of doubt inside our heads we've had quarrels made mistakes we went through wars natural disasters repression and financial crises we've suffered losses fell to the ground got stuck in the dark But we never surrendered, we always stood up, and that is what we will continue to do. No matter how deep we have to dig, the curtain will reopen. For the skeptics, for the cynics, for the sad, but most of all, for ourselves. Because despite our differences in style, beliefs, and vision, we are all part of one big family. A family built on trust. This is it. This is the real thing. You've
0: heard about it on the radio and seen it in the papers. Ten big acts for the price of one ticket. Behind this curtain you'll see the Fiji mermaid, the giant red bat, the six-foot man-eating chicken. They're all real and they're all on the inside. You'll see the
2: Ethiopian glaciers.
3: Come on, folks. What are you waiting for? Admission is free to Ballycast, the podcast of the carnival, sideshow, and variety arts. You're just in time. We're going to have a free show. We're going to bring out the strange people, the weird people. Here they come now. Watch the doorway. You'll see what they do, you'll hear what they talk about. They're all alive on the inside. Get your ticket and come in. Ballycast presents news and interviews with performers and showmen. Some important words of warning. This podcast is not family-friendly. I'm not even thinking about it. So listen at your own risk. The performances and stunts described are not safe, even for experienced performers. Never attempt them without the direct supervision of someone who already performs them. Please use your common sense. And if you don't have any, stop listening now. Here's your host, Wayne Kaiser.
0: Welcome to Ballycast, episode 143.
3: Ballycast
0: is brought to you free by Blue Ridge Entertainment, publisher of books, CDs, DVDs, and more for showmen, performers, and fans of the sideshow, carnival, and variety arts. The feature segment of today's show, words of comfort, words of encouragement. You've earned them, and you deserve them. Also, Coney Island gay Coney Island. As the Scarecrow said in one of the Oz books, I'm convinced that the only people worthy of consideration in this world are the unusual ones, for the common folk are like the leaves of a tree, and live and die unnoticed. Also, news, and much more, from the pen of Edgar Allan Poe, it's Ballycast. Here we go, keep your hands and arms inside the car. Let's just get this out of the way. Enough is
4: enough! I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! Everybody strap in!
0: Beginning, as usual, with my list of who died. You know, this podcast is going to go on well over an hour if people don't quit dying. Charlie Daniels, Nuff said.
5: I done told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best as ever been.
0: Composer Ennio Morricone died at age ninety-one in July. No, no, no. I know that's the easy example, but there was so much more. Here are just a few of my favorites. I yeah, love underneath.
2: Um um, e não pode me levar. O sol é sempre
0: mentioning Dame Vera Lynn. She died June 20th at age 103. She kept Britain's chin up during the horrifying days of the Blitz in World War II. In September 2009, at the age of 92, she became the oldest living artist to make it to number one in the British album chart and though she didn't sing in public anymore in her very last days, she collaborated with her fellow British theatre professionals to keep their chin up very recently.
4: It's Dame Vera in here, and I would like to send my love and best wishes to everyone in the theatre industry. We'll meet
2: again, don't know where that I know Tell them we won't be long They'll be happy
4: to know that as you saw us go
2: We were singing this song, Lord We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know when, But I know we'll
4: meet again Some sunny day
2: so will you please say hello to the folks that we love?
0: Marvin Roy, the magician known as Mr. Electric, died July 1st. He was 95. Very popular through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, he and his wife Carol toured for years with Liberace, performed on TV on the Ed Sullivan Show in the Hollywood Palace, and in Las Vegas. They appeared all over the world in an amazing silent act, pulling lit light bulbs from the most impossible places, including strings of lit light bulbs many feet long from his mouth. Electrifying, but now gone. Ronnie and Donnie Gallions The world's oldest surviving conjoined twins died on the 4th of July. Three nature's greatest mistakes. Real people, the strangest people on earth, born to live. They were 68. They were never formally educated because they could not be separated, and schools deemed the twins a distraction. So it's reported that all their life they were functionally illiterate. Their mother rejected them, so they were raised by their father and stepmother. With nine children to support, their father reluctantly decided to take them on the road as a sideshow attraction. They appeared in an air-conditioned trailer where they spent the days watching television while spectators peered in the window at them. They had two social security numbers and cast two votes, but had only one passport. In the 1980s, they were managed by Ward Hall and Chris Christ. Their tours made them wealthy enough to support their family, buy their own house, and retire in 1991 after 30 years in the sideshow business. Ronnie and Donnie had mostly pleasant memories of life in the sideshow and didn't feel in any way exploited But we're happy to have retired from show business for good.
4: If we stood in our tiptoes, we could peek over the sill. And once in a while we would see a girl slowly walking down the hill. And we think what a sad situation. To be outside on your own. To go to town with no playmate. To go through life all alone. I will never leave you. I will never go away. We were meant to share each moment. Beside you is where I will stay. Evermore and always will be one though we're two For I will never leave you When the day's filled with shadow That stretch into the night
2: I am filled with your sweet comfort Like
4: mornings filled with light I will never leave you I will never go away, we were meant to share each moment, beside you is where I will stay. Evermore and always, will be one though we're two, for I will never leave. I will never leave. I will never go away. We were meant to share each moment. Beside you is where I will stand.
0: recommendations Canadian Andy Bonnie known as DJ Andy B, Andy B regularly publishes hour long mixed sets of house music on many platforms you may enjoy many of them and they're all free Check out QI, short for Quite Interesting, a season for each letter of the alphabet. Once hosted by Stephen Fry and now by Sandy Toxvig, the show is one of those British quiz shows where the questions are written by volunteers they call elves. The scoring is enigmatic and no prizes are won, but the road to the end is hugely entertaining. Many episodes are now on YouTube.
2: I'll win it
4: today. Well, I'm not surprised with three points because it was an excellent contribution. The audience!
0: Yeah! It's one of the reasons I don't watch American TV. Ballycast is proudly brought to you free because I want to tell you about my growing catalogue of books, DVDs, CDs, and more for performers and fans of the circus and sideshow. They're all online at goodmagic.com, including rare audio of sideshows from the past and detailed plans and instructions for classic acts you can add to your performances today. Please take a moment to visit goodmagic.com. I think you'll be excited by what you find. Why are they streaming out of your show, yelling and running for their lives? Let's check out the very next show and we'll see.
1: See Zambora, the ape girl, the ape girl, this beautiful, living, girl will be locked in a solid steel cage for your safety, and under bright lights you'll see her change. You will see her forehead recede. Her teeth will grow into long fangs. You'll clearly see everything as her clothes fall away from her body. You'll see thick
0: matted hair grow all over this poor girl's body and right before your eyes she will change into a ferocious 450 pound gorilla that's right this
1: beautiful girl turns into an ape so powerful she can bend a steel bar like a toothpick
0: Build this big sideshow moneymaker and have them running for their lives out of your show. The plans, drawn by sideshow legend Aaron Brill in the 1960s, are available for just six dollars on goodmagic.com. Get back! Get! Back!
2: Zambora! Get! Jesus! Ow! (laughs)
0: In the news, Cirque du Soleil is filing for bankruptcy. Oh dear, oh my, what will the artists do? But the Montreal Gazette reports that Cirque's creditors formally offered to acquire it two weeks ago, a deal that would include no layoffs, no government handouts, and would ensure that the famously Canadian organization would remain in Canada. The creditors believed that the three current owners, who include an American company and a Chinese company, were taking the offer seriously. But instead, the Cirque Board of Directors blindsided the creditors group, filing for bankruptcy protection, including protection for the stake of the current owners, permanently firing 3,480 employees and taking a $200 million loan from the Quebec government. Frankly, Cirque du Soleil's artists are wonderful, but the more I learn about the organization, the less I like it.
5: Not for all you can, monkey boy.
0: Maybe I'm an alarmist, but accusations. Accusations everywhere, aimed at people you'd never expect ...from totally unexpected accusers. When will one come at you? Even if no shot comes across your bow today... ...the likelihood is increasing... ...that one day you will need proof... ...of what you heard or saw... ...or what happened in your presence. It may be a little bulky to wear a body cam... ...like the police are supposed to wear and keep turned on, and not disable or smear the lens, but if the need comes, they're not expensive. Even cheaper is an MP3 player. Most will also record audio and have plenty of battery to record for hours and hours, and they store that audio on removable memory cards. Some legal issues to remember. Most states require the consent of only one party to the recording of events, A few require the consent of both parties. It should be noted that in many states, consent requirements only apply in situations where the parties have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Further, what constitutes consent in any given jurisdiction can vary in terms of whether it must be expressed or implied based on the circumstances. And there's no telling what a court might rule on what evidence can be accepted, even if you have it. But in strictly practical terms, just having such evidence may be enough to head off any accusation, for you and for those you were with at the time. I know if I was a teacher conferring with underage students behind closed doors, I would want to at least post a sign mentioning the fact on my office door. Stickers and signs are available cheap on Amazon. Whatever recording method you choose should be always on, and the recordings archived to your computer daily without fail. Then, keep them as long as you may need them. How long is that? Who knows? You never know when you'll need it until you actually need it. If recent events are any indication, People have been denied employment for propositioning someone 10 years ago, or for statements they made 20 years ago, or for the photos in their high school yearbook 30 years ago. There's no telling how long is long enough. There's a link on the podcast webpage. There's a link on the podcast webpage at valleycast.com to a general summary of each state's laws. And now, on with the show. Artists are not okay right now. Broadway is closed until 2021. Feld, what's left of it, laid off 90% of its workforce permanently. Cruise ship performers are out of work. Theme park performers have no idea when they'll be recalled. And performing arts organizations of all kinds are trying to figure out how to keep going. And this economy hasn't seen even close to the worst of what's to come. In the Great Depression, you know, the one back in the 1930s, many people could not afford the price of a theater ticket, and actors had trouble finding employment. Kinda like now. And farmers were stuck with crops they couldn't sell or truck to market. Kinda like now. And that was when Robert Porterfield brought 30 of his fellow actors to Abingdon, Virginia in 1933 to work and to perform bartering their labor for food. They created the Barter Theater, inviting the local people to attend and pay for their tickets with farm goods. Porterfield said, with vegetables that you cannot sell, you can buy a good laugh." Or, as some have called it, trading hams for Hamlet. The actors broadened their skills, working on scenery, gathering props, and working in the cafeteria at the Barter Inn, where members of the troupe boarded. Since 1946, the Barter Theatre has been the State Theatre of Virginia. It's now a respected, year-round resident equity theatre, starting place for the careers of Gregory Peck, Ernest Borgnine, Patricia Neal, Ned Beatty, Hume Cronin, and many others, like actress Elizabeth Wilson. I've
4: been in about, oh my gosh, 30 movies, Starting with The Graduate. Do you remember The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman? Well, I played his mother, and I was in the Adams family, and the barter was one of the reasons that I was able to keep going. I knew that if I couldn't get work, if I couldn't do something, all I had to do was pick up the phone and call Mr. Porterfield. But when I would call him and say, I'm free now, I would like to come down to Virginia, is there any way I could come? He would say... Come on
0: down, honey. From the beginning, touring companies did one-night stands in towns throughout Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And unlike the easily censored Depression-era federal theater project, Barter Theater didn't take a penny of government money. It was and still is a private enterprise. Today, Barter Theater keeps the original name but doesn't trade food for tickets anymore except on special days when the food is donated to local food banks. And now they've had another crazy idea. Instead of trying to survive with socially distanced, half-full houses, this summer they've begun playing shows on a stage at the front of the local Moonlight Drive-In Theater, where the performance can be watched from the cars and heard on the in-car speakers while it is simulcast to the big screen. Do you have any more crazy ideas? Let's start off with this idea. The future of the performing arts is probably, largely, digital. Other performing groups have had similar ideas.
4: I'm beginning to like that.
0: Another path for the performing arts takes events out of the four walls and padded seats of a theater. The McLean Community Center's director of youth theater programs felt that there just had to be another way to make art that wasn't over Zoom or some kind of other virtual in-front-of-a-screen type technology. They're trying drive-through drama, where audience members will navigate ten stations spread across the community center's parking lot from the safety of their cars. Each scene features an actor performing a two-minute monologue as their role in the narrative. The new play was crafted to accommodate socially distanced performers. The young actors were cast from video auditions. This particular play, titled Small Change, opens with a student writing the words Make a small change on a dollar bill, then tracks that bill's path in and out of various characters' lives threading their stories into one overarching tapestry, connecting people that don't even have to meet each other, that don't even know that the others exist, connected by this dollar bill and the small changes they make. For each night of the production, audience members can prepay by the carload online and sign up to enter four cars every 15 minutes, beginning at 6 p.m. and ending at 8 p.m. So each actor will perform his or her monologue as many as 32 times per night. Audience members will be asked to stay in their vehicles and are encouraged to wear masks. The actors will be positioned at least six feet away from the vehicles. If the performances run well, six performances over two weekends, it is hoped that other theater makers will want to refine the concept and put their spin on it. I remember a performance of Henry V that happened from place to place all over the grounds of a ten-acre estate. If you were nimble, you'd catch every word, but maybe you'd miss parts of a scene as you gathered in the midst of the band of brothers or peered up a wall to see Henry shout,
2: Once
4: more, unto the breach! Dear friends, once more, or close the wall up with our English
2: dead!
0: By the way... In the category of everything old is new again, look up a Eugene O'Neill play from 1920 called The Emperor Jones. It will make you think a lot about where today is heading. A YouTube video embedded on the podcast webpage gives a very good history of Coney Island.
4: The fire continued throughout the early morning, and by sunrise, Dreamland was gone. We find Coney Island 20 years later, in the early 1930s, during the height of the Great Depression. All of our previous characters have passed. George Tillieu from Pneumonia in 1914. Frederick Thompson from Bright's Disease in 1919. Captain Paul Boynton from Pneumonia in 1924. William Reynolds from Heart Disease in 1931. Captain Jack Bonavita from A Polar Bear in 1917. Steeplechase and Luna Park are still operating, but their glory days are behind them.
5: off at St. John's
2: Point,
5: heard all day bird watching and the crack was good, stopped off at Strangford Lock early in the morning, drove through Shigley, taking pictures and on to Killa Lake. stopping for Sunday papers at the Lacalle District, just before Coney Island. On and on over the hill to our glass in the jam jar. Autumn sunshine magnificent and all shining through. Stop off at our glass for a couple of jars of mussels and some potted herrings in case we get families before dinner. On and on over the hill and the crack is good. Heading towards Coney Island I look at the side of your face As the sunlight comes streaming through the window In the autumn sunshine And all in all time going to Coney Island I'm thinking Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time?
0: And that brings us to another very interesting story. But I swear, it took some work to untangle. Amazing, isn't it? The culture at the moment gets so in its own way. And they say you're not allowed to question anything about it, they say. Gonna do it anyway going to weed out the labored and really historically ignorant and inappropriate gender pronouns and such, so that we can truly understand history. And the result? My word, Colonel Butler, is there a fainting couch nearby? I do believe I have a case of the vapors. At the end of World War II, women who had been working in heavy industry, supporting our troops overseas, were expected to go quietly back to their homes and make way for the returning G.I.s. But some did not want to go. They had seen the big wide world and enjoyed the company of other hard-working women and now identified as lesbians. Some were brave enough to adopt false identities and were butch enough to get away with it, to pass as boys and get new factory jobs. One, Rusty Brown formerly employed at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, passed so well that she started performing at Coney Island, giving the impression that she was a man in drag. Remember that name. We'll be coming back to her. The prevailing narrative of gay history in New York has played out in Manhattan, a place known for its thriving population of urban gay men and women. Stonewall is in Manhattan. But Manhattan is by no means the whole of New York. It took historian Hugh Ryan to say, either there's a history that has not been recorded in a way that I'm able to find it, or gay people are like vampires and we can't cross moving waters and therefore we're stuck in Manhattan. Ryan established a traveling pop-up museum of queer history. Documenting and celebrating the history of gay people in various locations across America. In 2019, Ryan published When Brooklyn Was Queer. In the early 20th century, many residents of Manhattan were seen as sophisticated and urban, but Brooklyn was the home of working class people. While the documented queer life of Manhattan happened in apartments, In speakeasies and at drag balls, the queer history of Brooklyn took place along the borough's waterfronts, a space where, thanks to a high volume of commercial activity, strangers often came to congregate in relative anonymity and then disappear back to their private homes. One of the most prominent of these spaces was Coney Island. Coney Island had started as a place for the wealthy, But in 1920, the price of a subway ride to Coney Island went down from ten cents to five cents, giving Coney Island its famous nickname, the Nickel Empire. And suddenly, anyone could go there. By its very nature, away from the city and brimming with scantily clad adults, its special ambiance was charged with sex. As Ryan discovered... Queer life during this time could flourish only where queer people could have jobs. Life around the docks ran on the shipping business, which ran on sailors, who in turn relied on the services of sex workers and entertainers, jobs accessible to queer people. In 1942 the Brooklyn Navy Yard began hiring women to work in industrial jobs, such as the one held by Rusty Brown before her stint in drag. Women were hired by the shipyards to work as welders, where they formed a tight-knit group with heavy trousers and hair shorn against the flames of welding torches. On their days off, the women would go to Coney Island. At the end of the war... The women were expected to relinquish their jobs to make way for returning soldiers, but many did not relinquish their taste for the freedom they found at the beaches and in the bathhouses of Coney Island. Coney Island's early affiliation with the circus and sideshow also made it queer in its own unique way. The Boardwalk hosted a number of freak shows, spotlighting people who were not as others born outside the confines of the usual heterosexual body or personality as the scarecrow said in one of the oz books i'm convinced that the only people worthy of consideration in this world are the unusual ones for the common folk are like the leaves of a tree and live and die unnoticed In the Coney Island sideshows were gender non-conforming people, intersex people, and people who explicitly played with gender identity in their acts, including those who claimed to be half-woman, half-man. Bearded ladies were common. Bearded women of color were often labeled missing links, neither fully human nor ape. Many performers who bent gender norms were not queer and did not see themselves in any way connected to queer people, but the way they presented themselves helped them discover that sheer queerness was easy to establish, easy for others to understand, and easy to sell. So, to get back to our main character, Rusty Brown made the most of the new possibilities on Koenig. Though Brown performed drag, What was then called male or female impersonation, implying it was just a costume, just kidding, folks, oh, aren't I naughty and daring, Brown performed a show that parodied Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, with Brown playing the part of Astaire. And then she spotted the woman who would become her soulmate. Brown was attending Madame Tirza's wine bath, a burlesque show where a performer took a shower in 40 gallons of simulated wine.
1: Now, ladies and gentlemen, right now you happen to be standing in front of Tears' of famous swine bath review. You're not going to come out of here satisfied if you get a peek. You want a darn good look, and I don't blame you. That's what you're going to get. Ladies can go as well as the men. But we don't want you ladies to feel for one moment that you're going to a Sunday school picnic. We don't want any trouble, and furthermore, we don't give anybody their money back. We don't want to have you ladies buy a so can go inside, look at one, maybe two numbers at the most, Then come out here, tap me on the shoulder, get all excited. Say, hey mister, give me my money back. You shocked my modesty, I didn't expect that kind of a show.
0: Madame Tirza was another local queer celebrity on Coney Island. She would dance in pasties under a fountain of water dyed red to look like wine. Tirza had gotten her license as a union plumber and a trucker to maintain and transport her custom wine-showering device. She was a proud bisexual... Dancers in her show frequently referred to her as a he-she, a term that was then scornfully used to describe someone who slept with both men and women. Brown was sitting in the front row, and she noticed a dancer named Terry, who Brown assumed must have been straight, and Terry noticed Brown too. They would remain together for twenty-eight years, until Terry died. Another of Coney Island's queer hot spots were its bathhouses. At the time, it was illegal for anyone to wear a bathing suit on the streets of New York, so most people rented their suits from the bathhouses. So everyone changed clothes in the same place. There were men naked with other men. <laughs> And women naked with other women, Ryan says. And anywhere you create those spaces, you see gay sex. In 1929, Coney Island held an all-male beauty pageant. The bathhouse and the judges were shocked when only gay guys showed up, Ryan says but the people who came to watch the pageant were pleasantly surprised. There are some clear reasons why Brooklyn's waterfront accommodated certain kinds of queer life. Coney Island's queer culture ultimately suffered at the hands of urban planner Robert Moses. He used slum clearance laws to seize shops and land at Coney Island and then get them empty, effectively driving people away from the boardwalk. He also rezoned the surrounding land for residential public housing and built overpasses too low for city buses, ensuring that only people who owned cars could make their way to these spaces. In the first half of 1946, over 6,000 people were ticketed for crimes including ball playing, peddling, and undressing on the beach. Inspectors shut down the bathhouses on sanitary citations. There was one free municipal bathhouse used by 150,000 people, and Moses turned it into equipment storage for the parks. As businesses disappeared and visitors came less often, crime skyrocketed. Coney Island's stalwart but scrappy queer communities buckled under the new municipal pressure. In 1949, The Gay Girl's Guide to New York was published, and it only included two places in Brooklyn, noting Coney Island as a place of last resort for a beach party. In 1952, the License Commission shut down Madame Tirza's show. Afraid to reopen, Tirza married a man from Coney Island, and they struck out on the road. But in the 21st century, Brooklyn has reclaimed its past and is queerer than ever. Each June, the Coney Island Mermaid Parade pays homage to the neighborhood's queer, kitschy, and costumed past. But Ryan hopes his work will help 21st century queer Brooklyn reconnect with its past, where people hooked up in bathhouses and welded airplanes before Stonewall. The next time you're in Coney Island, spill a bit of wine, real or simulated, for the memory of Rusty Brown and Madame Tirza. The sickening thud of the headsman's axe... The deadly hum and sizzle of the electric chair. The rush and slither as crocodiles swarm over their tied-down victim. Ah! 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 Hear them and see them in this exhibit housed in a single trailer. Brill's plan for an exhibit of 14 historical methods of execution, a self-contained walk-through horror show that can be built economically and worked easily by one person. The side of the trailer can be your own prominent weatherproof banner, 11 pages of drawings and detailed descriptions on paper for just $7, or a PDF file emailed to you for just $4. The link is on the podcast page. Order it now from goodmagic.com. Valleycast is produced by Wayne Kaiser for Blue Ridge Entertainment. Under a Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives License. That means you can keep it, copy it, share it with a friend, just tell them where it came from, don't change it, and don't sell it. If you enjoyed it, you can subscribe at Ballycast.com. And please, also see our web sales and support site, GoodMagic.com. Visit us, link to us, subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, enjoy. exit to your left and they say you're not allowed to question anything about it, they say gonna do it anyway